It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello and welcome to the October episode of Merry Britsmas, a podcast all about British Christmas things. And I'm your host, Adam. I've been struggling with a good old seasonal cold, so apologies for my slightly deep, sick voice. Before we get going, please check out my Twitter account at Merry Britsmas. I'm running a World Cup of Marleys with different actors and cartoon characters who played Jacob Marley, or a version of the character, facing off to decide the very best. Do you prefer the classically spooky, the modernised Scrooged style, animated comedy antics, or even a gender-swapped Marley? Get online and vote. Now, on to the October episode with a Welsh seasonal monster a sinister mock 70s horror episode of Inside Number 9, and three of the most scary British Christmas songs of all time. It's spooky month. Halloween's not far away, so I wanted to delve into the world of spooky Christmas creatures. I'm sure lots of you have heard of the Krampus, and most may have heard of the likes of the Yule Cat or Zvarta Peter, and maybe even creatures like Frau Perkta or the Belschnickel. However, these are all European in location, and I'm a British podcast. Thankfully, there are a couple of intriguing and strange British mythical creatures with some sort of festive winter connection, but we're going to start with my favourite today. The Mary Lud, spelt M-A-R-I-L-W-Y-D. In ancient times, customs were commonplace for early human civilizations. The rituals we created were designed to offer comfort, protection, entertainment, and a sense of time. The rituals and ideas were often based around weather and seasonal changes. Time was measured through farming, seeding, harvest time, and these were vital for the survival of communities. Therefore, the importance of weather and the changes in the environment were on the minds of everyone. A lot of festive traditions have roots in ancient rituals of Christian and non-Christian origin. Let's imagine ourselves in a deep, dark Welsh winter, little sunshine and darkness taking over. The idea of rebirth is on the minds of humanity, waiting for the arrival of spring. Consider the Christmas love of evergreens, These plants retain their natural green at a time when everything else is dying. Well, how about an animal coming back to life in midwinter as well? Animal bones and skulls were common in ancient rituals. Animals were tied up in human affairs for food and productivity. Horses were symbols of power and strength. They were used on battle and on farms. Also, Celtic mythology said that white or pale creatures, including horses, were possibly able to pass between this world and the underworld. And winter, a dark, bleak time of death, was the time when the veil between these two planes of existence were at their thinnest. So, with all that in mind, we may be able to grasp why Welsh people 
dating back to at least 1800, took the skull of a horse, put it on a long stick, and paraded it through towns or villages as the sun went down, with the carrier hiding beneath a white sheet to disguise themselves. The group would then request entry to houses and later pubs through the medium of song. The house owner and the revellers would go back and forth in song or rhyme until one side relented, kind of like a Celtic rap battle. Check out a BBC recording of one of these battles filmed back in Languinwid, apologies, in 1966. <laughs> Os noch the battle would usually end in the revellers getting food and drink, if the homeowner lost. The horse would also neigh, snap its jaws, and try to scare children and adults alike. The group travelling with the Mary Lewid often had individual roles too, such as a sergeant, a merryman, and a Punch and Judy, or at the time, a Punch and Sea One. These are characters of Commedia dell'arte theatre and puppetry shows. These people would disguise themselves as well, with costumes and even blackened faces, obviously something that's a little more controversial in the modern world. These events all took place over the seasonal period, most often at the time of New Year. As with a lot of celebrations, they gained a reputation for bawdiness and drunkenness, so much that many a sermon was preached attacking this barbaric practice. However, this often just made people more aware of it, and it continued to rise in popularity through until the 1920s and 1930s. It died down for a few decades, but some small villages continued, and it resurged in recent decades with folk clubs and historic societies. The term Mary Lewid is contested in terms of its meaning, with one academic believing it linked to Holy Mary, but others believing it links to a grey mare, evidently due to the horse skull. The origins are also hotly contested, with some claiming it could have Christian links, and others believing it was pre-Christian or pagan. However, records of course were not kept so well, so, as it should be, the mystery remains. There's a lot of history about the Mary Lewid that I don't have time to discuss in one episode, but I may come back to it in the future. To finish, I'd like to read the opening from an epic poem by Welsh poet Vernon Watkins from 1941 called Ballad of the Mary Lewid that is super creepy and awesome. I recommend reading the whole thing if you have a spare ten minutes. Mary Lewid, horse of frost, star horse and white horse of the sea, is carried to us. The dead return, 
those exiles carry her. They who seem holy and have put on corruption. They who seem corrupt and have put on holiness. They strain against the door. They strain towards the fire which fosters and warms the living. The living who have cast them out from their own fear, from their own fear of themselves, into the outer loneliness of death, rejected them and cast them out forever. The living cringe and warm themselves at the fire, shrinking from that loneliness, that singleness of heart. The living are defended by the rich warmth of the flames which keep that loneliness out. Terrified, they hear the dead tapping at the panes. Then they rise up armed with the warmth of firelight in the condition of scorn. It is New Year's night. Midnight is burning like a taper. In an hour, in less than an hour, it will be blown out. It is the moment of conscience, the living moment, the dead moment. Listen. Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith are two of the geniuses responsible for creating the League of Gentlemen, the darkest, most twisted sitcom of the late 90s. They later put their talents to Psychoville, a brilliant but short-lived and underviewed comedy horror show about murder and mystery with creepy clowns and serial killer obsessives. Then, they decided to try out an anthology series, with each episode telling a new, strange, twisted or horrifying story, with the only connection being those two appearing in it and some kind of number nine such as a hotel room or flat number. Inside number nine was soon critically acclaimed and has run for five series with a sixth and seventh apparently in the works. It has been consistently brilliant with stories that cover gothic horror, murder mysteries, silent crimes, medieval witchcraft, comedy duos, football referees and so much more. They put out a wonderfully creepy and clever Halloween special in 2018 that had to be seen live to be enjoyed in its fullest, but still well worth checking out. However, this is a Christmas podcast. And there are a couple of great episodes that link to Christmas in Love's Great Adventure and The Twelve Days of Christine. But there was one festive special released as the first episode of Series 3 on December 27th, 2016. The Devil of Christmas. Good grief. The Devil of Christmas. What's all this about then, Klaus? The episode DGL opens with a clapperboard dated Christmas, 1977, one, one. as we seem to be watching a 1970s-style anthology episode with standard definition and a 4-3 aspect ratio, with an English family arriving at an Austrian alpine chalet. I have already made a fire for you. Oh, that's better. Oh, Toby, be a dear and shut the door. Otherwise, we'll all catch our deaths. What a gloomy thought. Catch our deaths. Yes, Mummy, we're here for a two-week holiday. Let's keep things jolly, eh? I shouldn't worry about oh. it. It's only a saying. The actors are a bit wooden. The set seems flimsy. However, it's not as straightforward as that, because a narrator starts speaking over the episode. 
Krampus. This is a local legend. Oh, I just want to point out a continuity error. Can we visit back? Okay. Um... It's just occurred to me now, seeing the Krampus picture, but if you look by the front door as they all troop in, there it is again, see? Oh, yes. Sorry, could you just introduce yourself so people know who you are? Oh, uh, yes, yeah, I'm Dennis Fulcher, and I was the director of this piece. Now, what happened was we started filming and we noticed up in the gallery that the painting had been set in the wrong place by the bloody art department. Luckily, it was a long scene, so I sent a stagehand down to move it. See? In this case, the voice of the director of this classic 70s show, who gives a kind of director's commentary, voiced by the brilliant Derek Jacobi. So the story of this old episode is about a family, a dad, Julian, his pregnant wife, Kathy, his mother, Celia, and his son, Toby. A strange man called Klaus shows them in and tells them the story of the Krampus. In the clutch of the Krampus, even the most unruly child will promise to turn from his wicked ways. We had a nanny rather like that. Oh, Julian, don't exaggerate. So he is the dark side of Santa Claus, a sort of Jekyll and Hyde? The Krampus walks the streets for three nights. If you hear the cowbells, you will know he is close by. On the first night, if you have been bad, you will find a switch in your shoe. Like a light switch? No, Toby, a switch is a rod or a twig used for whipping horses. Oh, naughty little boys. It is a warning to mend your manners. On the second night, if you're still bad, the Krampus will leave his mark upon you. You will wake up with scratches where he has visited you in the night. And on the third night, my God, if you're still not mended, he will come for you. It goes on a bit, this speech. Chains stuffed into his sack and hurled down into the flames of hell. Typical Friday night in Berkhamstead, eh, Mummy? His eyes. Something about his eyes. Like he knows something. Before bed, the boy, Toby, leaves his boots out for Krampus, as per the legend and wakes to find them filled with sticks, a sign that he is visited due to the boy's naughtiness. Well, don't look at me. I didn't put it there. Well, somebody did. And poor Toby hasn't stopped crying all morning. Where is he now? Klaus took Kathy and he to the village to get a cup of hot chocolate. Oh, well, that ought to cheer him up. Just a bunch of old twigs, anyhow. Maybe it was one of the locals trying to scare the gullible tourists and keep us entertained. The parents are confused as to how they got there, and the next night Toby and Celia see a strange figure, and Toby finds scratches on his body. What is it? What's wrong? Look! God! Toby, what happened? I don't know. I woke up this morning, and they were there. I thought I'd been good. We can't put this down to sleepwalking. No! It's Krampus! It's the second night and he's left his mark, exactly as Klaus said he would, just as in the legend. Taffy, calm down. You mustn't excite yourself. But it's all coming true. And if what Klaus says is right, then tomorrow night he'll take Toby away. Oh, please don't let him... All right, that's enough. Can't you see you're scaring the boy? Toby, get dressed. We're leaving. The following morning, Toby and Celia leave to escape. 
Throughout all of this, the narrator, aka the director, interjects in an ongoing commentary, asking them to rewind the tape, complaining about mislines, commenting on the rushed reading of Julian, with the actor apparently eager to get to another job. We're being told all these snippets of information as the story progresses. Nancy overshot her mark again. She wouldn't wear glasses, said they were wrong for the character. But Brian saved the day, look. Well, I don't trust her. In the story, the next night, Kathy is found with scratches on her back and then reveals to Julian that she is pregnant with another man's baby. What are you getting at? There's something I haven't told you. Something about this child. Hello? Oh, Mummy, you got home safe. Toby all right? Good. Thanks for letting me know. Yes, yes, we're fine. Good night, Mummy. Well, you were saying? I've been bad, Julian. This baby, it isn't yours. What? The Kramper soon bursts in, in a rather silly costume, and takes Kathy, with Julian dying of a heart attack, unable to get his medication. Kathy! Behind you! is revealed, with the Krampus being a costumed Klaus, aka really Simon, aka Kathy's lover and the father of the baby. Don't worry, Julian. I'll look after her now. Merry Christmas. <coughs> and there's your ending. Well, not quite. But there's one last scene. Kathy and Simon are celebrating with champagne when suddenly Simon chains Kathy to a bed. A new Krampus enters with a machete, approaching the genuinely screaming actress. And the film cuts as the machete falls. Always a strange moment when you see them realise what's going on. You see, there's no acting here. That's genuine fear. I don't think I want to watch the ending. Action! The director reveals he's shocked that it's resurfaced. And it's one of the better ones. Revealing this was a real murder on screen. And then a police officer terminates the interrogation to end the episode. Police interview with Dennis Fulcher, terminated at 16.05. Now, it's not the most Christmassy of Christmas specials, but it is spooky and strange, especially with the use of filming and non-digital sound recording to capture that 70s feel. The director, Graham Harper, revealed in a behind-the-scenes clip that the cameras used were actual 70s BBC cameras to get the authentic style. Uh, Reese 
and Steve wrote something that they really wanted to do in a, a, a multi-camera studio of the 70s. Adam decided to check out where to find all the equipment um, that we could use in the from the 70s. And guess what? Most of the equipment and camera work that we're doing is on old 70s uh, cameras, which is quite a different uh, way of working from the way we work now. The whole thing's very tense, and the final real reveal is so horrifying and so grotesque. It also toys with comedy, as many of these episodes do, juxtaposing humorous moments with sinister suspense and anticipation. The show perfectly pulls off that hammy acting style as well, with actors using great skill to become bad actors in a cheesy 70s way. As Adam Tandy, the producer, points out in a behind-the-scenes clip. So we're not just trying to do it good, we're trying to do it good and slightly bad at the same time. The whole show is superb at taking different styles, approaches and innovative tricks, so I'd recommend checking it out if you have yet to see any. Everyone's a gem. As I said, there are a couple of other Christmas episodes that I may cover in the future. With it being spooky month, I was racking my brains to think of the creepiest Christmas song. Sure, there are some songs that discuss some bleak ideas and sad events, but Christmas songs are generally joyous, or at least sad, rather than creepy. Then it struck me, like a monster crashing through the window. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, scarier than a novelty comedy Christmas song. I braved this terrifying world to listen to three hit British ones, starting with a rubber-faced man called Avid Merrion. Well, now he goes by the name of Keith Lemon, and his real name is Lee Francis. Back in the mid-2000s, this comedian found fame with a show called Bo Selector, where he played Avid Merrion, a deranged celebrity-obsessed stalker, while simultaneously playing various celebrities in grotesque caricature masks, ranging from Michael Jackson, to Craig David, to Mel C, to David Blaine. In 2003, he released Proper Crimbo, a comedy Christmas song urging people to have a proper crimbo, aka a good Christmas. The single featured him doing the voices of Craig David, MJ, and others to sing along to the ridiculous lyrics. The video was even more horrifying, with a horde of very British, very 2000 celebrities appearing to sing along, including Richard Bacon, Simon Amstel, Kerry Katona, Derma O'Leary and Holly Valance. If you don't know who they are, don't worry about it. Help us out. Sing with me. 
check it out Can I get a rewind And that were good Come on now, let's get it together, you as well, guys Sing with me! The video also spoofs Thriller, with Avid changing through characters to chase a daytime TV presenter Matthew Wright. It's outdated, the celebrity references are jarring and creepy, yet I still find myself singing to that damn catchy chorus. And me and my brother often tell each other to have a proper crimbo. Something a little less scary, but a lot more naughty. Fat Les were a trio of Alex James of Blur, actor Keith Allen, and the artist Damien Hirst. They had guest vocalists appear on singles, including the smash hit Vindaloo, used as an unofficial England theme song for the World Cup in 1998. <laughs> In the same year at Christmas, they released Naughty Christmas, in brackets, Goblin in the Office, a cheeky, jaunty sing-along that is basically about the sort of guy who would be rightly me tooed in today's world. What you doing? You naughty, naughty woman, woman, woman. I a naughty man, naughty, naughty man. You naughty, naughty woman. Lisa Moorish provides the female vocals opposite Alan as the creepy goblin at the office Christmas party. The song itself actually seems to have nothing to do with Christmas, except for the title and the video, which is set at an office Christmas party, with Alan sleezing it up grotesquely. Again, a gross song, yet I still can't help but get the chorus stuck in my head. Oh, 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 oh,
have saved the scariest to last, the most frightening creature ever to come out of British television. Some may say the most horrifying creature in all of human thought. A mindless being of destruction, chaos, evil, Mr. Blobby. First appearing alongside Noel Edmonds on a Saturday night TV show, the giant pink creature, covered in yellow spots, screeches his own name in howls of pain and horror as he destroys property and barges into guests. This evil monster did have a Christmas number one in 1993 with the non-festive self-titled Mr Blobby. However, he also released in 1995 Christmas in Blobbyland. Have you left out a mince pie and some milk? And some carrots for the reindeer too? Well done. And have you sent your letter to Santa? Don't worry, I posted it for you. In this travesty to music, Noel Edmonds talks with Mr Blobby about stockings and the letters to Santa before chintzy electronic bopping appears and backing singers sing like they're being held at gunpoint about Christmas in Blobbyland. And it'll be Christmas. Thankfully, he doesn't wail his name too often. He does for a while though, and I apologise for anyone whose ears are bleeding. Thankfully, the British public had learned their lessons, and the single only got to number 36, and was voted the worst ever Christmas song by shoppers in 2011 and 2015, as well as by the Metro newspaper as the second worst Christmas song. I hear that on All Hallows Eve, if you say Mr Blobby three times in the mirror and put on his Christmas song, he'll come down your chimney and take you back to Blobbyland. Why don't you try it this Halloween? Before you head off to have a spooky, scary Halloween, can I recommend a couple of brilliant festive podcasts? You know I love finding odd British Christmas covers, and, as of this month, horrifying novelty songs, so check out Jingle Jank. The hosting pair of Scott and Jay take on a different theme each week, presenting rare and unusual festive hits from the world of 80s cartoons, ska, punk and disco, and so much more. Also, Totally Rad Christmas is a podcast that celebrates everything rad about an 80s Christmas, whether it's toys, television, the music, or oddities. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s, 
toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! I'll be appearing on an episode soon, discussing a Blackadder Christmas special, so keep an ear out for that. Subscribe to both of these brilliant podcasts as we fly into November and the full season. I'll be releasing two episodes a month in November and December to amp up that festive spirit. Please subscribe if you haven't, and leave me a review on your podcast app of choice so I can spread the festive Christmas British joy to more people. And don't forget to vote for your favourite Marley on the Merry Britsmas Twitter, and I'll see you in November. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.